This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here and welcome to Irish Time here on the Manitou People's Radio in glorious Palmerston North. Uh, the best uh, community station in the province, in fact. Anyway, I'm going to start off with here. I came across this from, where did I get it from? It was Belfast Telegraph or else the Irish Times. About e-scooters, because I saw in today's paper, uh, the Monetary Standard, about you know e- e-scooters are you know, coming in the town, as it were. And they've done a lot of work on it in uh, the Republic of Ireland in particular. E-scooters continue to grow in popularity as cheap alternative uh, as a cheap alternative to public transport and a way to reduce car usage. True. However, road safety groups have highlighted the dangers they pose on public footpaths and pedestrian areas. Legislation to regulate the safe use of e-scooters is to be introduced with international rental companies competing to set up shared uh, schemes. That's interesting. They are cost-effective, eco-friendly and here to stay. So they say. Service operators are vying to get into cities like Galway. And today in Eamon uh, DC Park, the, these e-scooters were showcasing tech solutions to prevent riding on footpaths and other unsafe behaviour. Ireland is one of the last uh, companies in Europe to legislate for e-scooters. Um, isn't that interesting? Eh? And we have learned a lot from other jurisdictions about operating shared schemes uh, safely in Ireland. Said Jean Andrews, uh, policy director of the super-dependent service operator. Wow. There were uh, challenges in the early days, but now we have uh, geofencing technology to prevent what's called pavement clutter. And we have sensors to detect riding on the footpath, which will power down the, the scooter. That's interesting. So it runs in, people come within close distance, the scooter just sort of automatically goes down, you know, with speed. Interesting. Under the new legislation, e-scooters will be uh, categorised as uh, powered personal transporters, allowing them to be used in public places without a driver's licence, tax or insurance. Eventually, they will be treated like a pedal cycle. Uh, Fiona Gale, uh, MP or TD, Kieran Cannon, is an avid long-distance cycler who was seriously injured in a road collision during the summer. Mr. Cannon is passionate about road safety and said the new technology will help ensure that e-scooters are safely integrated into towns and cities around the country. He particularly welcomes the Gal- them in Galway, which is one of the most congested cities in the country. And it's a very lots of narrow streets in Galway from my memory of the place. However, the mayor of Galway, Colette Conley, is opposed to e-scooters in cycle lanes. It's not something I would be in favour of as a pedestrian and as a cyclist myself. I think they would pose a danger because the two vehicles don't go at the same speed, so that would be my concern. With legislation imminent, I just wonder if the government is intent on using the road space and sharing that space with a car and an e-scooter and how that might work out. Or are they planning to on the use of uh, bus corridors and cycle lanes? I don't think cycle lanes, of which there are few in Galway, would be suitable. Most of the cycle routes in the city are, are unsuitable for e-scooters. 
But Esther and safety will dominate the debate on e-scooters, especially for vulnerable old people like Sally and Pat Carthy, Cartney, who uh, encounter them daily on when they go out for a walk. Pat is not opposed to them. However, he said he would like to know if they have insurance cover. <laughs> I think they are dangerous on the footpath when people are walking. Even a bicycle is dangerous on the footpath, as far as I can see. Uh, but there's nothing being done about it. True enough, I've seen that here. A number of safety measures being proposed for the new bill include a minimum age uh, for use of 16 years. Okay, that's something I never thought about. Minimum age use for use of at 16 years. Compulsory helmets for those aged between 16 and 18. An upper speed limit of 20 miles, 25 kilometres an hour. And a ban on the use of footpaths. They're very safe. I've... Uh, of three different settings, 10 miles per hour, 15 mile, uh, kilometres per hour, and then the fastest I can go is 25. That's just from a, a, one of the users they, they spoke to. I usually go on the football because the roads aren't too safe at the moment. I have lights and my helmet, and I'm very grateful and very careful. There's legislation coming through, and that's most important. Um, when I'm on the, the road or footpath, people are always scared to jump to the side. And I understand why, because they see a fast approaching vehicle on two wheels and it doesn't look stable. So having the legislation outlining what I'm allowed to do will help enormously with me and all the other EU scooter riders. Yeah, that's fair enough. And now it's from the Belfast Telegraph, I think. Electric car for the Belfast Lord Mayor for the first time. Uh, yeah, I wonder if our has got a, a sort of, uh, you know, an electric car. An electric vehicle has become an official uh, car of Belfast Lord Mayor for the first time. City councillors um, voted in 2020 to move from a diesel car to an electric car to show the local authorities' commitment to tackling climate change. Councillors were uh, split over which uh, model to choose, but ultimately up for a, an Audi e-tron. Nice looking Audi. I've got to show you a photograph of it. Nice Audi. Lord Mayor Kate Nicholson uh, said the change sent an important signal. In a document distributed to councillors last year, it estimated the car would cost £53,000 to buy or £7,000, just, uh, just under 8000 to lease. So that's interesting. I wonder what they did with it. Miss um, Nichols, as a council, we appreciate there is. Uh, much to do to tackle climate change and we recognise that the change must start with us by showing civic leadership. Good. So I hope our mayor is driving an electric car. One electric vehicle will not solve the climate change but uh, small changes lead to momentum and which leads to action. As a council we need to raise ambition, inspire others which in turn will act as a catalyst for action at a local level. The Lord Mayor will represent Belfast City Council at the COP26 Climate Conference in Glasgow very shortly, actually. Uh, Mr. Nicholl, an Alliance Party councillor will travel to the event in the new electric vehicle, taking the ferry from Northern Ireland to Stranraer, or rather, to Scotland. Yeah, large Stranraer, probably. Our attendance at COP26 gives us a seat at the table of this global event and allows us the opportunity to showcase examples of best practice here in Belfast and in Northern Ireland in general. When the switch to an electric vehicle was debated, Sinn Féin leader on the, the council, Kieran Beatty, said a less expensive Hyundai model would have been preferable to the luxury car, the Audi. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, really, you know. 
getting, defeating the purpose of why they're actually getting an electric car. You know, emissions doesn't seem to bother them. It's just this car costs more than that car. Anyway, uh, he said replacing the MERS car with one that is electric is uh, the right and appropriate step. However, it must be done at a minimal cost to the rate pair. God, the rate pair. That, you know, hassled person who lives in every town. But the alliance, uh, the alliance leader on the console, Michael Long, said the Audi represent the best value for money in terms of space and mileage. The car um, used previously by the Lord Mayor was a diesel BMW 7 Series. On average, the Mayor's uh, vehicle does about 6,000 miles per year. That's uh, yeah, a reasonable amount of travelling, I suppose, wherever they're going. And still on the politics of Northern Ireland. The majority in the North backed uh, protocol despite the controversy. The majority of people in the North uh, view the Northern Ireland protocol as a positive, a new poll has found. The survey conducted for Queen's University of Belfast showed 52% of respondents outside the post-breakfast arrangement to be a good thing. Uh, the figure has increased from 43% there back there in June. The, uh, the poll comes as DUP leader Jeffrey Donaldson renewed his threat to collapse Stormont unless progress was made over the sea border. Isn't he a, like a spoiled brat, this guy? I suppose he's fighting for his political life, as like many people in uh, the Democratic Unionist Party. It's in, you know, tatters, really, uh, you know, among themselves. Mr. Donaldson said he was uh, still prepared to trigger an early election, but after previously stating his party would walk away from the Assembly next month if uh, you know <clears throat> they don't agree to his terms it is welcome that the Prime Minister wants to see rapid progress and recognises that the conditions uh, to trigger Article 16 have been met if Brussels is not prepared to make the kind of changes envisaged in the July command paper oh, unusual word command paper then it is time for the government to act uh, unilaterally and protect this, this part of the UK in line with the, the new decode, new approach commitment. It was Boris Johnson's sort of soundbite. If the government feels to act, then I will have uh, no option but to ask uh, the people of Northern Ireland to make their voice heard at the ballot box. Queen's University poll, uh, puts, poll is the latest commission to monitor the local attitude towards Brexit, particularly the trade arrangements that have created economic barriers with Britain. Go, uh, go ahead on... Uh, Get ahead on the day and the morning headlines, okay, according to uh, Mr. Donaldson. The, uh, the, he talked about the protocol was agreed between the UK and the European Union in a way to ensure that the British border remained free-flowing from Brexit and achieves that by moving regulatory and custom checks to local ports. London and Brussels are currently locked in negotiations to read all aspects of the protocol and cut some of the red tape. Many loyalists and unions are opposed to the protocol, claiming it has weakened Northern Ireland's constitutional position within the UK. And that's the crux of the problem, really. They're just worried that, you know, the government in Westminster will eventually just sort of get fed up with it and just let it go, you know. And they might, they might hold up a border poll that they've been talking about for some time just to see what the, the feelings are between uh, people north and south. And <clears throat> I don't think it's a given that, you know, it would be United Ireland tomorrow if they had that poll. I think there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of people to be persuaded.
Anyway, still back in the north of Ireland. Uh, the economy minister, Gordon Lyons, has said he believes that 900,000 high street voucher cards will be issued to people in Northern Ireland in the next week. That's uh, the cards, I think we mentioned this before, the government gave them the £100 uh, voucher to uh, everyone over 18 to spend in their local community. <clears throat> it's a good idea to actually get the, the economy moving along. I mean, it is taxpayers' money, but it's still valid. It's £100 is not to be sniffed at. Monday is the last day for uh, to apply for a card. Uh, applications can be made through the you know, <clears throat> the website or else you just give them a ring and they'll be on to it, as they say. A total of 1.4 million people have already applied for the voucher. Well, so it's taken off. You have received the email to say your details have been verified. I saw the spend local reference number that uh, came up on your screen. When you applied, you can be assured your application is being processed. It's just an idea of what they're doing. The deadline for spending the vouchers is at the end of, end of November. Mr. L- uh, for spending the vouchers, right? Mr. Lance said data showed that most cards were being sent at, spent at local businesses, which is great because that was the whole purpose of the, the you know, doing this. Already these businesses are starting to feel the boost from the spend, spend local card. Use your £100 to help the business in your local areas and uh, – see what happens to try to overcome the pandemic and the problems it has caused. There are going to be, there are going to people who are under pressure and will spend it grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. It's not as if it's kind of go out and buy Christmas presents or anything like that. This is for buying some of the basics, which is sad. Just over half of the 500,000 cards that have been issued have been activated. Monday's deadline applies only to new applications and does not affect those who have already downloaded the, the paper, the card, rather. So that is uh, a good idea, and I think it might actually happen over here at some stage if uh, things can get completely, you know, out of control to some degree. Uh, the £145 million scheme opened last month and is designed to boost activity in the business uh, area of the, of the towns and cities of Northern Ireland. And the cards are expected to arrive seven to ten days after you apply. So that's uh, they're on to it, as they say. And now, and now we've got something that's <clears throat> very dear to me, the Wolf Tones, that band, the Wolf Tones. Uh, their history, early history to be celebrated in Tralee. Very soon into, uh, would go, very soon into what would uh, go on to be a very long career for the band. The Wolf Tones performed right here in Kerry in the mid-1960s, which is in uh, Tralee. It was an appearance that would uh, try to help to kickstart their careers of this legendary band, and they are, everybody's heard of the Wolf Tones, etc., etc. Right up there with the Chieftains and the Dubliners, I mean, they're, they're big in Ireland and in America. Uh... The band had been acknowledged, has acknowledged the Rose Festival as the starting point for their um, illustrious career and repaid them in spades over years by returning multiple times to perform their good on them. Their first and arguably most famous show uh, that was performed in what uh, was known then as uh, the Derry O'Rourke Tavern, which is now the, the Castle Off Licence in Castle Street in Tralee. Eddie Barrett, one of the members whose family had owned and run the popular off-license since uh, 2005, helped on Monday afternoon along with the band themselves, setting up to him and also to help unveil a plaque commemorating the band's famous gig there at that uh, particular uh, area. Speaking to the carryman about the unveiling, Eddie said that he was just wanted to help create a little bit of local history. 
discovered through the grapevine and going through the records of the bar and through chatting to the O'Rourke family that the Wiltons had won their first prize back there in 1965, I think it was. And then they set out on the road to becoming a professional group and the rest is history, as they say. And that, that is, I mean, they were still a serious band, the Wiltons. And I didn't realise they were so old, as in, you know, they'd been around that, that length of time. And now to get to the dreaded COVID-19. Tickets to get into nightclubs in the Republic of Ireland will have to be booked at least one hour before arrival. The proposals, which are due to be signed into law uh, yesterday, were uh, diagnosed at a meeting between uh, the government and the industry representative, discussed at a meeting between um, the government and the industry reps. Nightclubs in the country reopened last Friday. RTE has asked, as a radio television, as reported that the ticket requirements will be determined by whether dancing has taken place. Mm. Suppose close contact again. Has been thought that they would be decided on whether or not there was a live music. Partygoers are regularly required to show proof of vaccination on entering. The new regulations said that there should be no congregating at the doors of venues and only ticket holders should be allowed in the, allowed in the queues. However, hospitality representatives <coughs> want a two-week delay on enforcing the rules to give them time to get their act together and sort out the ticket arrangements. Uh, Donald O'Keefe, uh, Chief Executive of the Licensed Vintners Association, said operators uh, needed time to get organised before the regulations came into place. It's only right that they get an opportunity to respond to this. Nightclubs in Northern Ireland remain shut, <clears throat> but are set to reopen on the 31st of October. And the end of the month, right. Under plans from the executive uh, the legal requirement for social distancing in bars and restaurants in Northern Ireland is also being removed on that uh, date. Latest COVID uh, statistics from the Republic showed an increase in the number of people being uh, treated in hospital. As of uh, last night, there were 515 COVID uh, patients, an increase of uh, 100. It is the first time since early March that more than 500 patients with COVID have been treated in Irish hospitals. And that's just the Republic of Ireland. I think Northern Ireland is also in a similar predicament. And they're just sort of, um, everything is not up in the air, but the relaxations have started taking place. And this is, <clears throat> worried about this could be the outcome for a lot of, uh, you know, citizens that they do have to wear a mask and even try and keep as much distance as possible between them and their, you know, whoever they're passing in the street. It's going to be interesting to watch because uh, in I look at the BBC News pretty regularly, and they had over fifty thousand cases, you know, new ones, and it's sort of it's not going backwards, but it certainly hasn't slowed down at all, which is uh, grim. The number of deaths have, I think, that's why they're quite prepared to go ahead and <coughs> open up the place because the death rate has kind of, you know <coughs> is really low compared to what it was. I think it's still you know possibly one hundred something, whereas before at one time. It was around seven, eight hundred and over a thousand in some weeks. But anyway, 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 <clears throat> Halloween is coming up. And um, so I remember Halloween in uh, Belfast used to be first footing, you know, bang on the door and give them a piece of coal for, you know, that the house would be good for the rest of the year, etc., etc. And you should do that there with a, a guy called Sid Riley, believe it or not. He was uh, a Jamaican and he worked in Belfast. He ran, or he was a, a government sort of person, you know, and he ran an employment uh, 
agency for the Northern Ireland government. And uh, he was a big player, Sid. And we used to sort of drink in the pub. And you used to get a lot of people coming up and being nice to him because he, he was a man of influence when it came to getting your son into apprenticeships and things like that. Anyway, I remember just going first footing with him once, just be did for a bit of a laugh, a bit of a giggle. And it was uh, amazing. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Because they usually do it there and usually give you a drink, you know, whiskey or something like that there and give them the cold and they'd give you a, a wee dram. Anyway, uh, an impulse in Irish tradition is fiercely celebrated in the face of unsettling things not fully understood. This is Halloween. Halloween is one of the many festivals that Irish immigrants exported abroad and is now taking root across the world. The, uh, the ancient Irish celebrated today of winter, on the first day of winter, and one of the first it was one of the first major pre, uh, pre-Christian festivals, uh, marking the event uh, of for pastoral year and the beginning of for the end of a pastoral year and the beginning of another. Christians later appropriated that day as the Feast of All Saints, testimony of the opposing belief systems that coexisted for so long in Ireland between pagan and Christian. The festivities of uh, the festival began on, begin on October the 31st and come to mark the real celebrations known as Halloween. This was a night when the supernatural were deemed to be at its most active and powerful, and it was considered an especially powerful date when the other world could sleep in the nor- into the normal world, seep into the normal world. Thank you. Despite being associated with the scurry supernatural, Irish people traditionally say Halloween is a night of fun and games. Uh, Halloween and the other uh, other day festivals were rooted in farming practice and, signif- and signified by key dates in the agricultural calendar. Oh, that's interesting. In olden times, Halloween saw farmers, farming families rather, re- reunited uh, with their uh, anim- with their stock, and they brought their cattle and their keepers to temporary summer dwellings in the pastures in the uplands, up up the up the hills, as it were, so as they could uh, you know better feed and conditions. Mostly written that the Burren was quite a famous place for a lot of this happening. Uh, elsewhere, though, the last of cattle were expected to uh, drive ho- had driven home along with their herders by Halloween. The day marked the time of the safe um, reunion of young family members who had just spent on summers on the hillside and as well as being associated with bonefires, disguise and hijinks. It was a night for the family to gather around the hearth at home. Perhaps Halloween was seen as an additional deadline, a night for the youngsters to be finally back to the safety of the family, the family home, and away from supernatural danger. There was always a fear that in, in Ireland that otherworldly beings and fairies might abduct young people. I'm talking about leprechauns here. As it was believed, spirits were about people disguised themselves as fellow go- uh, ghosts so they would be safe from harm. People made their masks or disguises so grotesque as, they, as grotesque as they could, rubbing their faces with soot, using false names and unchanged voices. On that night, they dashed themselves with holy water and carried wooden hollowing crosses. A burnt coal or a blackened uh, hand-handled knife for protection when going out into the neighbourhood when the bonfires were all set to be lit and take off. It was a big event, I remember, you know, it was... Well, back in you know the part of Belfast I lived, it was you know really was celebrated. You know, people went to a lot of trouble. An impulse in Irish tradition is um, variously celebrated in the, the face of unsettling things not fully understood. One example is the unruly behaviour once permitted at wakes. 
Halloween is no exception despite the fears of monsters. It was a night for merriment and fun. Pranks were permitted, cabbages thrown at doors, gates taken off hinges, chimneys blocked, etc., etc. Perhaps the most rusquous goings on were followed by people grateful that their young people were their young people were at home. Their kids were at home, as opposed to being stuck up in the mountains. There was a focus on food, of course, the glut from the harvest following a feast of plenty. There was a Colcanyon with butter, sweet brack, pancakes made with cream, blackberry pie. In some years, a uh, drink was known as lamb's wood. It was made by mixing the pulp of uh, roasted apples with milk or ale. Food was rarely, uh, was rarely plentiful in Ireland and sugar was uncommon. So people delighted in sweet apples, toffee apples. Do you remember them? Toffee apples, I do. And uh, so they're all going to get ready for it, go through the whole thing again. Anyway, that was kind of short this week, but I kind of ran out of, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff that I thought of great interest in uh, the papers. So I will love you and leave you and have a great weekend. And uh, I'll see you next week. And, and don't forget, keep, uh, you know, listen to Manitou People's Radio. And if you listen to this program, pass it on to other people, you know, who maybe have an interest in things Irish, okay? Thank you very much. And be a cur and be kind. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.